This morning I've just got a, a quick word of encouragement for you. It is our homecoming Sunday morning and I've just got a few things that I'm going to do to give you a word of exhortation this morning. I want you to turn to the book of Psalms chapter 22. Won't take long. Won't take long. <laughs> All right. Psalm 22 verse 4 through 5. When you get there say amen. Amen. If you ain't there yet, say, hold on. <laughs> All right, here we go. Verse 4 says, Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and they were delivered. They trusted in you and they were not ashamed. Father, we come to you once again this morning. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Father, I pray that this word of exhortation that you delivered this morning would be one that strengthens the heart of the people of, that belong to you here at Wales, God. Father, I pray that our faith would stand firm in the midst of all of the turmoil and darkness that surrounds us in this world, God. Father, I thank you for all of the ones that are still running the race with endurance. Lord, many have turned back, but Father, many still follow. And Father, I thank you for those that choose by faith to trust you completely. Father, I thank you for the examples that we have had before us, Father. I thank you that for so many that have walked this path before us in this very fellowship of believers, God. And Lord, I thank you for the example that they left behind, that they indeed did trust you. And Father, because they did, you delivered. They were not ashamed because they trusted in you. And Father, I pray that we would have that same example, that we would have that same walk in our lives, Father. And Lord, we will be careful to give you all the glory and praise for everything that is done. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning is homecoming. And as always, before I go to an event, whenever we went to Ebenezer a few months ago for Founders Day, I stopped, did some research. Well, what is Founders Day? Anytime we go to a pastor's anniversary at, at different churches, I stopped and I did my research. Well, what is a pastor's anniversary? Basically, I want to know what we're celebrating. I want to know what it is that, that we're here. Is this just tradition that we're doing? Is this something that we just uh, uh, have a feast every day, have a singing group come in? Or, or what, is, what is the purpose behind homecoming celebration? And I found several things, but one, I believe, stood above all the rest as far as what more people thought homecoming actually represented. And here's what they said. Basically, it's a celebration of the church's heritage I said well what is that word heritage I looked up the word heritage and the word heritage means something that has been handed down from one generation to another the church's heritage is whatever has been handed down from one generation to the next in the midst of this believers and as you've heard so many times before from me, when I look out amongst this crowd, I've been here for 14 years, going on 15 years, and when I look amongst this crowd, I see many, many faces that are here, but I see many, many that are missing over 14 years, brother. I've seen just in the last few months several that you look out today and their faces won't be there. And I'm not talking about those that go and continue the fellowship in another congregation of believers. I'm talking about those who have just left the faith. 
I'm talking about those that are no longer running the race with endurance. They're no longer laying aside the sin that so easily besets them. They're no longer looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, but instead they've decided that the ways of the world are more valuable to them than the reproaches of Christ. And I thought about what do I talk about in homecoming whenever I look around and so many are still here but so many are gone. I ask myself the question, what is it that has caused you as a church to persevere through all the trials that the rest of them folded up, packed away, and went back to the world. What is it in your life? What is the foundation that you stand on? What is it that has caused this church to persevere from generation to generation? Because remember something, people. When I talk about the church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about believers I'm talking about you who are still walking in the faith, who are still here. I'm not just talking about the congregation at Wales. I'm talking about Thompson's Chapel, Highland. I'm talking about uh, um, Christ Church in Nashville. I'm talking about believers, the body of Christ, the church. What has caused the ones that are still here today to persevere through the trials and tribulations that so many have packed up and went back home? Today I want to focus on why the church here has persevered through the tough times that other congregations have given up. I want you to look with me at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 for just a second. Because what I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm going to try to go through it fairly quickly. But what I'm going to tell you this morning is not something that you've never heard before. But I want to show you real quick why I'm going to cover these basic biblical principles this morning. And I do mean basic there is nothing theologically great about what I'm going to tell you this morning. I'm going to tell you very simple biblical truths. I know we were supposed to start our series on fasting last Sunday, but the Lord saw fit to give me kidney stones, and since then I, I'm still putting it together. So prayerfully next week we're going to start our series on fasting and fasting together as a church. But this week I'm going to talk about basic biblical principles. Second Peter I'm just going to read off the screen. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. For this reason I will not be negligent. Let me say that one more time. For this reason I will not be negligent. To remind you how often? Always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Even though you are the ones that are still persevering, that don't mean tomorrow that you will be. So I will not be negligent to remind you always of these basic principles from the, from the Bible which is God's word. I will not be negligent to remind you of these things always even though you already know it and you're already established in this present truth. For this, so this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about some basic principles, but before I do, I want to tell you a little story. Many times in the Word of God, Jesus would use illustrations. They called them parables. He would use stories that the disciples and other people would understand the worldly meaning behind it, and then he would want to give the spiritual purpose behind it. This morning, I want to do the same thing with a story that I heard several years ago, and I'm going to try my best to remember it as well as I can, but... I want to talk to you about a time when there were no cars, 
no trucks. I want to talk to you about a time when there were when there were no uh, factories and, and machinists and all the great things we see today. Anybody remember those times? I don't know if we got anybody old enough. We got, we got one or two in here old enough to remember those times. I want to talk to you about a time when travel was not made by cars and trucks, but travel was made on dirt roads with buggies and, and horses and, and chariots and, and all manner of horsepower, literally. I want to talk to you about a time that has been many years ago that is long forgotten by most everyone here today. In this time, there was an essential trade called a blacksmith. This blacksmith's job was to make tools and, and to make all of these works out of metal that would need the iron that goes around the wheels of the chariots, the springs that go under the chariots to help them ride better, uh, the horseshoes that go on the horse's feet. His job was to make the plows and keep them sharp during the times that they didn't have tractors to pull an old dull plow. It had to be sharp because it was going behind a mule and they had to guide it by hand and, and the metal hose and the things if it were not for the blacksmith they would not have had any of these things only the blacksmith could look and see a useless formless piece of metal and could see a purpose in that thing and from his mind be able to form that into exactly what he means for that to be only a blacksmith so listen to the story a long time ago there was a little boy this little boy was raised on the farm and he had never, he'd never been to the city. I don't know about y'all, when I was a little boy, we lived way out in the country. I didn't get to go to town, but maybe once or, once or twice every two or three months, that was it. Boy, when we got to go to McDonald's, I mean, it was a treat. And I'm not that old. But years ago, not everybody got to go to town like we get to go today. This little boy had never been to town. And one day his father comes to him, he says, Son, we've, we've got to go into town. Would you like to go with me? boy got all excited. He said, I'd love to go with you. So he takes off and they go traveling down the road and they get into town and the boy's walking through and he's seeing things like he's never seen before. He looks around and, and, and all the work that he's been doing on the farm, gathering the crops, they're selling them in all these little huts. He's looking around and people are trading and he's never seen. His eyes are seeing things like he's never seen before. The town, the big city. And then as he's walking down this dirt road, he begins to hear a Clang, clang, clang. And out of all that he's seeing, the only thing he can focus on is the noise that he's hearing. And he turns and he asks his father, he says, Father, what is that noise? He says, come on, son, I'll show you. They walk on down the road and they get to the door of the blacksmith shop. They open the door to the blacksmith shop and they walk in. And when they stand there at the door, the young boy looks and he sees this massive, huge man with big strong arms and this man is holding a big hammer with a big head on it and a long handle and he's standing there watching and every time this man would raise this hammer he would bring it down on this hot piece of glowing orange metal and it sparks would fly as he hit it on top of this anvil and it would make such a sound with such a force that every time it hit the boy would just flinch at every hit he would see the sparks fly and he sat there for a minute and his father tried to explain to him that son, this is the blacksmith that makes all the tools and the iron that goes around the wheels and the horseshoes and all the essentials that we need to do our work on a daily basis. But the boy wasn't concerned with any of that. The only thing he could do was keep his eyes fixed on the hammer 
and the man that was driving it and the force that was coming down onto the metal and the anvil. And the blacksmith raised up and he paused just for a moment to take a breath. And when he took a breath, he turned and he saw the young boy at the door. And the young boy looked at him and he said, Sir, and he pointed at the anvil. He said, Aren't you going to break that thing? And the blacksmith smiled and looked back at him. He said, Son, this anvil is over a hundred years old and it has worn out many big hammers. When I thought about that, I thought about the way that God works with us. I thought about the way that God molds us. I thought about all of the great tools that he uses in order to make us into everything that we're supposed to be. See this right here? See, this is a forgotten art, so I know a lot of you know what this is. But how many would be honest and say, I don't know what this is? Is there anybody in here this morning? We got, we got a few. Any more? Yeah, we got several in here this morning. This is an anvil. Now, this is a 15-pound anvil. It ain't, um, it ain't nothing like the one that I'm talking about. But this piece of tool was used in the blacksmith's days and it was forged in a fire and it was hardened in such a way that there was no metal that was as strong as this metal. It was forged in such a way that it was basically unbreakable, unfailable. But the boy, the only thing he could see was the force that the hammer was putting on this metal as it rested on this anvil. And he was so focused on the blows that was taking place on the metal. When he watched the glowing iron be hit, he saw that bits and pieces of sparks would fly from it. And he thought, that hammer is tearing that metal to pieces. He thought, surely, with the way that this blacksmith is hitting this anvil, there is no way that it could last very long. But what he didn't realize was the strength of that anvil and the purpose of that hammer. I want you to think just for a second about the blacksmith. The blacksmith, if you will think about it, if we were telling a parable this morning, we were, we were given a spiritual significance, the blacksmith would represent God. The great, huge, mighty man with the big hammer. It is his tool it holds in his hand. The great creator, the master artist, the one that sees what he wants it to be and he speaks those things that are not and they come into being. The great all-powerful God that with men, the things that are impossible, all things are possible with him. This blacksmith, we see that he has a useless, formless piece of metal. He looks down at a piece of metal that no one else could see any purpose in. The only good that it is for is to be thrown away for destruction. It has no shape. It has no form. It has no purpose. But this blacksmith sees purpose in this useless, formless piece of metal. This blacksmith sees a group of people that without God, they're nothing. This blacksmith sees a group of people that basically, in their current state, they're worthless. The only thing they're good for is an eternal destruction in a place called hell. That's the best case scenario for them. But this blacksmith sees what nobody else can see. This blacksmith sees that that thing can be the image of everything I want it to be. 
And he takes this useless, formless piece of metal and he puts it in this, his first tool, a fiery furnace. He puts it in this fiery furnace and the purpose for this furnace is to get this metal soft. See, this metal's hard. It's a little hard-hearted, a little prideful, a little up on itself. So he says, I gotta, I gotta use something that's gonna soften this thing up just a little bit. I've gotta get this thing glowing so hot that when I get ready to work on it, the parts that don't belong on it, they fly off. So the blacksmith, he gets the useless, formless metal and he puts it in the furnace. And oh, the furnace burns. If the metal could talk, what do you think he would say? He'd probably look at the blacksmith and say, why are you doing this to me? What is the purpose behind this? What good could possibly come from this hot, fiery trial? So I ask the question, what does this have to do with our life? Very simple, basic truth. I want you to look with me at the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. <clears throat> if you don't get there in time, Tim's got it, so we're gonna, I'm going to read for lack of time this morning. It says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while... If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Go to verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This furnace hurts. Make no mistake about it. When God chooses to allow you to get into a place that is a great trial, a great time of suffering, make no mistake, pain is coming. It will hurt. It will be tough. But he says to us here that this is a purifying process. This is a time to where I get you in a place to where I can remove all the things from you that do not belong. The book of, uh, I think, 1 Peter 3, I think it is, says, don't think it's strange concerning this fiery trial, which is to try you. It is for the purpose of trying and testing your faith to see, will you stand true to God, even in the midst of Him stripping things away from you? I think about Abraham when he went to take Isaac up on the hill. He takes Isaac up on the mountain to sacrifice him. And when he gets up there, he's bringing the knife down and the angel comes down and he stops Abraham and he says, you don't have to do no more. And he says something very strange to me right there. He said, now I know that you are for me. Now I know because you were willing to give your son. Did God not know that to begin with? But God said, I want to see your heart. I want to see your faith in practice. God already knows whether you'll stand true in the fire or not. But even still, he wants to see you prove it. Faith without works is what? Dead faith. The first tool that God uses, the fiery furnace. And it is meant to try us. He is testing us and when we are proven to be genuine, it will bring praise, honor, and glory to God Almighty what we were created for to begin with. When I think of all the fiery furnaces we've been through as Christians, I'm thankful for the past because that's what made me who I am today. But I've got faith for the future 
because I have the examples that our fathers trusted you and you delivered them from the trials. Our fathers trusted you and they were not ashamed. So I have thankfulness for all the trials that you have sent me through, through God. This is why the Bible can say, be thankful in all things. Yes, it didn't stutter when it said, be thankful in all things. Even when the hammer is coming down. The next thing I thought was the second tool, <clears throat> the hammer. Now, <clears throat> don't think for a minute that this hammer's purpose is not to hurt you. This hammer was made to pound. This whole reason the blacksmith created this hammer was to be used for the purpose of beating the things that don't belong off of you. This hammer, when it comes down, it means to hit and it means to hit hard. It means to strip you of seven sons and three daughters. It means to strip you of all the goods that God has blessed you with just to see if you will stay true to him even when God removes all the blessings that he's gave you, it means to hit you, and it means to hit you hard. But people, I want to remind you of another thing. This hammer, even though he don't realize, he's too stupid to realize that he's just a tool in the hands of the mighty creator. He's too stupid to realize that every blow he inflicts, even though his purpose is destruction, he's too stupid to realize that he cannot destroy that God is in full control of him and he can only make us more pure. That's all this hammer can do. But he don't realize it. Look at um, James chapter 1 verse 2 and 4. 2 through 4. James chapter 1 verse 2 through 4. My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He says, I want to remind you that every tool I use, every hammer that I hit you with, every fire that I put you in, it is for one purpose. It's to make you complete and lacking nothing. So count it all joy when the hammer falls down on you because listen, <clears throat> it's in the midst of these trials that you're going to learn how to be Christ-like. He is taking you as an unformed piece of metal and he's putting you on this anvil and he's hitting you and he's bringing you into a new shape. He's putting you into a new form. Do you see that? And then as he is forming you in the image of his son, it takes us having patience through the fire, through the hammers, in order for us to be complete and lacking nothing. This is where you learn to do good to those who hate you. This is where you learn to bless those who persecute you, despitefully use you. If there were no fires of people persecuting you, would you ever learn to bless them? If there were no people that hated you, would you ever learn to do good to those? If there were no fire, you could not be made complete. So I say to you this morning, trust the tools of God. Trust the fire. Trust the hammer. But listen to this. Don't be like the little boy. 
Don't put all your focus on the hammer. Let me tell you something. Yes, that is God's tool. But your focus, thank you, brother. <clears throat> your focus is not to be on that tool of God. That hammer will be worn out by what you are resting on in the process of you being formed into the image of God. The last but not least tool of God <clears throat> we come to is the anvil. The anvil, the blacksmith said, is over a hundred years old and has worn out many hammers, but it still goes. That hammer comes down and it wanted to hit, but it didn't realize that you were resting on such a solid foundation that you could not be shaken, you could not be moved. I asked the question earlier, what is it that has caused you to persevere as Christians? What is it that has allowed you to still be running the race to still be fighting the good fight of faith, to still be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And I say to you, here's the answer. Because you set your roots down in the almighty word of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 5, I think it is, he said, those who hear these commands of mine and do them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock and the winds came and the rains came and they beat on that house terrible. All but that house did not fall because it was founded on the rock. He said, all but those who have this word of mine, all those who have these great commands, these great examples, and they do not do them. He says, I'll tell you what I'll liken to him. I'll liken him to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. He built the same way the other man built. They were both good builders, according to my Bible. But the problem was the foundation they were built on. They did not build their lives on the security and the comfort and the resting full assurance of the word of God. And then when the fire came and when the hammer hit, the house fell. And great was its fall because it was not founded on the rock. I say to you this morning, the Bible is an anvil that has worn out many, many hammers. <laughs> many, many hammers have wanted to destroy you, but because you were founded on the word, you have worn out many, many hammers. His word is a firm foundation to support us while we're being formed. It has caused many to overcome many hammers. It cannot break and it will never fail. Look at Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 just to give you scripture to back up what I'm saying. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands how long? Forever. This word will still be alive when all else has faded away. This word will still stand when everything else has left your life. So I say to you, many people build their lives on many things. Many people have built their lives on power, popularity, finances, money, jobs. They've built their lives on many things. But I'm going to make you a promise. When the fiery furnace comes, when the hammer hits, they will fall. But those who stand firm in the word of God and build their lives on these commitments to grow into the Christ-like image that he means for you to be, those are the ones that when the fire comes, when the hammer hits, they will not fall, but they will still stand and they will only be better 
and more pure when they come out on the other side. This is my closing. Finally, we have trusted God in the tough times and stood firm on his word as he purified us. As he molded us into the image of his son, many have quit. But Wells Baptist, I speak a word of encouragement to you on this homecoming Sunday. Everybody look at me. Many have quit, but not you. Not you. You are still running the race. You're still fighting the good fight. I would be lying to you this morning if I stood here and told you that it's only going to get easier. No, it's not. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There is no way around it. The fire will come and God means for the fire to come and he means for the hammer to hit. But I say to you, you have not quit. I say to you, run the race with endurance. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And let me tell you what will happen when you do that. When you look your eyes upon Jesus and you look full into his wonderful face, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I got one more thing and I'm done. Y'all hear that a lot, don't you? I know it. You didn't have nothing to do with this. <laughs> All right, I promise. I'm done. Listen. Let's stand firm in the faith and the word of God that our future is secured because we are built on the rock solid anvil of God. I'm not even going to go into the rest of it. It's not that important. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to exhort you this morning. Stand firm. Church, hold fast. Next homecoming, I don't want to look out amidst this crowd and go, well, they were here last year, but not this year. I don't want to look out amongst this crowd and say, well, I served with them for a good long while, but not now. They went back to the ways of the world. Set your roots in the commands of Christ. Set your roots in trusting fully in Him. When the hammer hits, when the fire burns, you will only be stronger. If y'all would, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. God, I just, I thank you that you have sustained us. God, it's only by your grace that we're still running. God, it's only by your mercy that we are still able to fight the good fight of faith because, Father, we are too weak. In ourselves, we can do nothing. Outside of you, we are nothing and can do nothing. But God, because we look to you, you give us the strength to fight the good fight, to run the race with endurance. And Father, I pray for all of these that are in the sound of my voice this morning, God, that I know the times will still be rougher even more. Father, I know the trials will just, will just get harder. But Father, I know that we will only get closer to you if we are founded on your word because it cannot fail, it cannot break. It has worn out many, many hammers. And Father, I come to you this morning and I ask that you would lift these up Father, I pray that just like Samson picked up the jawbone of a donkey and slew a thousand Philistines, but he couldn't do it on his own, you said that you gave him a mighty outpouring of your spirit.
Father, I'm praying right now that as these that are listening under the sound of this voice that have received this word of exhortation, I pray that a mighty outpouring of your spirit would strengthen them so that when they leave these doors this evening, Father, they would take on, they would set 10,000 to flight, God. Father, I pray that they would stand firm in the midst of a dark world and be a shining light for your glory. God, I thank you for all the tools that you use to mold us and make us into everything that you mean for us to be. And God, we will be obedient to you to be the light of your glory in this world. Father, I just ask you to forgive me of all the times that I have ever doubted you in trials, that I have ever questioned you in your ways. Father, you are sovereign God, and I know you are for my good. Father, I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.